0: And I'm encouraged when we sing songs back to back like that. We sing one that's about 500 years old, and then the one we just sang was published probably within the last 10 years. And it's pretty amazing. You think back to uh, Martin Luther, who was the author of "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God," and uh, when he wrote that, at that time in the Catholic Church, the congregation was not allowed to sing. They were not to sing. Only the priests were qualified to do any singing. And uh, so the think think back uh, Writing these songs in German Martin Luther in German and the congregation gathered together uh, Some of them maybe for the first time uh, All their lives going and not singing and then being a congregation obeying scripture Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together edifying one another singing in a language they understand 500 years ago and then and then us singing today a song written in our lifetime. And you know what makes both of those songs wonderful is not when they were written, the style that they are written in, but the wonderful truths they convey that we minister to one another in. So we're thankful for that. It's just a great reminder of those things. Well, I hope you have your Bibles out. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 35, uh, going through verse 49 this morning. Just as we get started... When you think about the idea of someone rising out of the grave, someone rising out of the grave, especially during the month of October, you might think of those zombies, right? Those zombies, especially, or I say this, usually whenever you see zombies depicted in cartoons or commercials, even in video games these days, what do you see? Well, you probably see a brownish-greenish-skinned uh, person, Perhaps all four limbs still attached if they're lucky, right? Eyes probably sunken in, their hair's all disheveled if it's still attached, if they still got it there. Bruises, cuts, stitches, uh, decaying bodies. They're probably limping around slowly, grunting, groaning. They're not quite all there intelligently, right? They don't, still don't have all their mental faculties. And of course, they aren't out of the grave to enjoy the sunshine. They didn't come out of the grave to read a good book, certainly not to go to church. No, instead, they're walking around or dragging themselves around, seeking people to terrorize in some grotesque fashion, Uh, perhaps even hopefully to increase their zombie population. Uh, By the way, little ones, zombies aren't real, okay? Some of our grown-ups may have needed to hear that as well. Zombies are not real, they're fake. Uh, when we think of that kind of rising from the dead, though, uh, preaching a sermon about resurrection may not be that exciting. Well, maybe for some people that would be exciting. We rephrase that a little bit. Uh, there are people now, of course, that have bumper stickers that are looking forward to the zombie apocalypse, which, whatever that would be. But let me rephrase this question. If coming back to life after death means anything like those fictional pretend zombies— I'm not so sure many of us, or any of us, would be quick to sign up for that. If that's what the resurrection is, no thanks, right? But to think that the resurrection we read about in Scripture, which, which God promises to all those who have been born again through faith in Christ, is anything like becoming some silly fictional thing like a zombie. That would, that would fall so very short of the goodness and the glory of God. It would be pretty foolish to think that anything God is going to do is is somehow inferior to our expectations. It would be pretty foolish to think that God, what God has planned for us in eternity, isn't far more than we could ask or think with the limited knowledge, the limited experience we have in this fallen world. Why are we even talking about coronavirus? Because we live in a fallen, cursed world. That's why the Apostle Paul calls these questions uh, in verse 35 foolish. Uh, Here's the question, verse 35. The questions that present this uh, passage. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? What's that going to look like? Remember the Corinthian people believed in what is called dualism. It's important for us to remember that as we go through this passage. And the idea of dualism, remember, is, is that the body... The outer man, our physical uh, bodies, are intrinsically evil. They're just bad, and prone to be bad, and prone to do evil. That's what they do. Uh, But that our inner man, uh, the immaterial, the spiritual, well, that's not evil at all. Not evil at all. Our inner man is intrinsically good, pure, right. And so to the dualist, the idea of death, with that in mind, may have been comforting. In the sense that the good inner man, the immaterial, would finally be freed from the evil that is in the body. Freed from that imprisonment they've been under for their, the freedom of their righteous soul. Of course, Christians, we know the truth. We know that uh, we're to watch our hearts, our inner man, because from it flow the springs of life. And that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. Christ said it's what comes out of the man from the heart that defiles a person. But these Corinthian believers have been, they've been having difficulty putting these ideas together. The idea of uh, the intrinsic evil of the body and the idea of resurrection that they know about from teaching, from scripture. They're struggling with this. And they're going to have difficulty putting these things together. Why? Because opposites cannot both be True. Remember, they're struggling in this battle over their thinking. The world's philosophy of dualism. They're battling with this. They've held this their whole life. It's still holding sway in their thinking. And it's making the idea of the resurrection sort of repulsive. Foolish to them. They saw it as foolish. So when they're asking these questions, how are the dead raised? Uh, With what kind of body will they come? They're not asking out of a desire to learn, as much as they are out of a bit of mockery. They're being foolish. Uh, They think they sound smart, right? Uh, Nobody mocks without thinking themselves superior. But in reality, they were being foolish, and Paul calls them out as such. Verse 36, he says, you foolish persons. I don't think Paul would have said this if the questions had not been asked without that criticism. And realize this, if the Corinthian believers were being swayed uh, by their dualistic thinking, and if the idea of resurrection wasn't appealing to them, uh, they would then have also been referring back to the lies that they'd believed about the inner man. Remember, if they believe the body shouldn't raise up, they also believe that the inner man is good. That the spirit of man is good. They might say something like this, Oh, that Sally, oh, she's such a good person, she's a really good person. Oh, I know John. John can be difficult sometimes, but boy, he has a good heart. Church, do we still hear those kinds of statements today? Sometimes make those kinds of statements? How do those statements, though, hold up when we hold them against the gospel, along the truth of the gospel? Well, the answer is they don't. They don't hold up very well to that. The the truth is, Sally, we might love love her to death. Sally's not a good person. She needs a savior. And John, the reason why he can become so difficult is because he doesn't have a good heart. Or maybe the reason why we can't get along with him is because we also don't have a good heart. We all have sinned. We're all in this. We all have fallen short. No one is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3. And so what we see here in this uh, mocking rebuke from, from the church, about this aspect of our faith, the resurrection. It's not a, just a disagreement over a minor issue. Yeah, we believe about Jesus, we believe about the gospel, but this resurrection thing, no, we're not really into that. But that's a minor thing, right? That doesn't matter. Well, no, it matters. It's actually quite important. The Corinthians' misunderstanding or their lack of knowledge, as Paul said in the previous verses, was coming from an anti-gospel view of man. You can't hold a gospel view as it pertains to your salvation and then an anti-gospel view when it pertains to the resurrection. Just like you can't hold a gospel view of your salvation and then an anti-gospel view of your sanctification, maybe like a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of a thing. You can't hold a a gospel view of your salvation and then an anti-gospel view, an anti-biblical view of your marriage or your friendships or your work, your emotions, your Lifestyle and anything, everything else, remember verse twenty eight reminds us in this chapter that God is all in all, and even the re- resurrection reminds us of this. the gospel itself, our salvation reminds this reminds us of this when Jesus isn't in the center of our thinking, in the center of our living, everything else gets out of whack. Uh, we cannot think that Jesus is the answer. To our going to hell problem, but that transcendental meditation is the answer to our stress problem. We can't think that Jesus is the answer to our sin problem, but but maybe acupuncture or hypnosis is the way out of our bad habits. We can't think that Jesus has a plan and a purpose for our future, but that our our horoscope is going to tell us how our next month is going to turn out. Proverbs three, we read this yesterday in our devotions. Proverbs three verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, the inner man. And do not lean on your own understanding. That kind of blows the idea of all of us having our own truths out of the water, doesn't it? Verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Church, Jesus isn't just our Savior and Lord for our destination. Jesus is our Lord all along the path in this life. And when we compartmentalize Jesus, put him in this box but not in that box, he he can touch this but can't touch that, when we compartmentalize Jesus and the gospel to just the idea of going to heaven, just escaping punishment for our sin, as, as amazing and wonderful as those things are, Of the world's philosophies, in those other areas where we're not letting him touch, the world's philosophies have that much of an easier task of holding sway in our minds as it relates to every other aspect of our lives. And that certainly seems to be what happened in Corinth as it related to a number of things as we've read through the book of 1 Corinthians. at This passage specifically to this idea of the resurrection, the resurrection of our bodies. So let's take some time and go through these verses and and see what we can learn about our resurrection, our resurrection bodies. That'll be fun, right? And then when we're done, though, look at the big picture of what's going on here. And and rightly, as, as cool as it is to think about our resurrection bodies, to then give the glory where it belongs. To give the glory to God, who is all in all. So starting back in the second half of verse 36, Paul writes this. What you sow does not come to life until it dies. Verse 37, And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, uh, perhaps of wheat or, or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. With this illustration of the seed, we, we see this. In the resurrection, our bodies are not going to be just like these bodies. Yeah, amen. (laughs) Amen to that. When we rise from the dead, God isn't just going to put us back together the way we are or the way we were, like a nothing better, nothing worse kind of a situation. We don't really want that, do we? When you plant a seed in the ground, what comes out of the ground isn't just... The seed, even though it was the seed, and it's from the seed that became the plant. And we're not going to have a science lesson right now. It's hard to understand, right? It's hard, and and it's an illustration. But we know this, when that seed is planted and the seed grows and becomes the plant, it it kind of is the seed, but it's more. It's more. So when we rise from the dead, it, it will be us. It will be our bodies, But it won't be our bodies the way our bodies are right now. It will be these bodies changed. Changed. Eternally changed. But your resurrection body will be you. It'll be you. Wheat seed becomes wheat. A barley seed becomes barley. The seed that is your physical body will be changed and made alive forever, and you will be you without sin, without sin. Praise God. Now in the next few verses, Paul emphasizes the change uh, that will take place from where we are now to where we will be. Verse 39, for not all flesh is the same. Uh, There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Okay, so fish are not humans. Got it. Uh, Land animals are not birds. They're different. On the same page here that we're different. Okay, verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Meaning just this. Stars are not planets. Planets are not stars. They're different. Verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Uh, some celestial bodies reflect the glory of the stars, like the moon reflecting the light of the sun. They're different, one reflecting the glory of the other. Even other planets that we see at night that just to the to the naked eye, we look up and we see these stars and these stars, and some seem to be brighting or shining brighter than others, but But we we see and we know and we learn that that's actually a planet reflecting back light to us. And some stars shine brighter than other stars. Even when we look closely, like through a telescope or something, we see different shades, different colors even. Everyone, every star, unique according to God's amazing creative power. Uh, The bodies are different. Each One unique. They are glorious in that they reflect the glory of another. Even the stars that shine their own light reflect the glory of another, reflecting the glory of their designer and maker. In verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. And then here in verse 42, Paul breaks down these differences in our present bodies, these ones we're in here today, and our resurrection bodies. So here's the comparison contrast, starting in the middle of verse 42. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Okay, so here's what we bring to the table. Here's what we have to offer. Are you ready? Excited to hear what we have to offer? We sow the seed that is our body, which is perishable, dishonorable, weak, and limited by nature. Okay, let's, let's talk about these things here. We sow the seed that is our body, which is first perishable. We are dying. When sin entered the world, death entered the world, and even when we are still living, which I'm pretty sure we all are right here, right now, even while we're still living, we are dying. Our bodies grow old. We shrink. <laughs> things stop working. Hair falls out, I've, I've found. And whatever we do to try to prolong this, whatever advancements we make technologically, medically, our bodies are still perishable. Our bodies die, and our bodies are dying. You might say, well, it's not death that I'm so worried about. It's the dying part, right? Our bodies are dying. And then when we do die, our bodies decay all the faster, don't they? What is sown is perishable. Uh, Next, what we sow is is dishonor. It's dishonorable. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? Uh, they ate the fruit. They wanted to be their own master. They believed the lie. They sinned, and what did they do? They right away covered themselves up and hid. They hid from God. They were ashamed of themselves, of their actions, even of their bodies. Uh, Because of our sin, what we have in our bodies to to present to God would miss the mark. Sin has negatively affected all of who we are. are. Our bodies are sown in dishonor. Number three, our bodies are sown in weakness. Even while we live, our bodies are prone to disorder. Uh, We have to work hard just to stay in decent shape. Uh, some of us just give up, right? It doesn't, doesn't work that long anyways. <laughs> when we stop, things go downhill quickly, don't they? Uh, we are limited in what we can do with these bodies. We get sick. We get injured. We get tired. And when we die, our bodies have no ability to do anything but be dead. When we die, we can't do anything but be dead. Death, uh, dead things don't act. Would you agree with that? Zombies aren't real. Dead things don't act. Dead things don't get up. Dead things don't exhibit strength. Have a new good idea and raise themselves up. Our bodies are weak. Finally, what is sown in our body is natural. There's nothing supernatural about these bodies of ours. Even every four years at the Olympics, or five years this time at the Olympics, and they break a world record again, and we think, whoa! We kind of treat them like little G gods, don't we sometimes? But they still just ran about a hundredth of a second faster than the last guy. There's limits. We are not supernatural. There's nothing supernatural about these bodies of ours. They can only run so far, they can only jump so high, we can only lift our voices so loudly. There are limits to what we can do with these bodies. And the natural limitation of our bodies prevent us from increasing their capacity any further. We're powerless. We are powerless to offer anything more than what we've been given. We don't add anything to the mix. We have what we've been given. So that's what we have to offer. That's what we bring to the table. Bodies that are perishable, dishonorable, weak, and bound by the laws of nature. And the bodies that we sow, what we leave behind in death, being perishable, dishonorable, weak, and bound by nature, that's what we have. But then, perhaps the two best words that we see in the Bible, but God. But God. God takes our perishable, dishonorable, weak, and natural bodies And changes them to be imperishable, honorable, powerful, and spiritual. Our resurrection bodies will never get sick, never grow old, never die. Remember if we said dying and being dead, the resurrection body will never be dead and it will never be dying. Amazing. Amazing. Our bodies now, as we get older, are dying. They eventually die. Neither happens in the resurrection body. Our resurrection bodies will be made to perfectly reflect the glory of our Lord and Savior. Meaning this, no sin, only righteousness. I think this this may be the greatest gift of all. Uh, Not dying sounds great. Not dying sounds great unless you add to it all the evil and sin in this world and in our own hearts. It is of God's mercy that our lives are shortened here. Think, if this is what we're going to have for eternity, there's sin, there's dying, there's death, there's destruction. It is of God's mercy that our lives are shortened here. Remember, before the flood, the evil became so great that God judged the world. And the lives of mankind were shortened to keep our sin at bay. That was God's mercy and kindness to us. Uh, Without sin, though, without sinful desire in our hearts, think about that. uh, We can look forward to being imperishable with eager anticipation because we know that our eternal life will be a good, joy-filled, God-honoring God-glorifying, perfect life. That's the life we have that is imperishable, that lasts forever. Our resurrection bodies will not tend toward disorder. Not only will we be not weak, if we think about where we are now, where we'll be in death, not only will we be not weak, we're not going to be like back to normal. God's going to make them powerful. From weak too powerful how much hell that's just how powerful are we going to be i'd like to hear about this i don't know and neither does the guy on the youtube video okay we don't know how powerful we're going to be i'm going to guess though it's the perfect amount it's the perfect amount because our perfect god's going to do it so whatever he says is going to be right where we want it to be right be great And our resurrection bodies won't be bound to any physical, natural limitations. This is where we might get a little insight into some of the power. Our bodies will be suited for spiritual, heavenly living. So as we think through this, some thoughts like Luke 20. Uh, Jesus said that we, as children of the resurrection, will be equal or or just like the angels. So kind of like Luke 2. Think about Luke 2 when the, the shepherds were out in the fields at night doing their regular thing, watching over the sheep, everything's dark and quiet, and boom! Angel was there, announcing to them the birth of Jesus Christ. And then suddenly, there was a multitude of angels in the sky, praising God. They weren't there, quiet night, just the the, the noise of the sheep, and then they were there. And then they were gone. Uh, later in John 20, Jesus had gotten his resurrection body. When the disciples were in a room, remember? They were in a room, the doors were all locked shut, and then all of a sudden, and he says, helpfully, he says, peace be with you. <laughs> they might have been freaking out in that moment, right? Or on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus is walking there with the two disciples. They couldn't tell who he was. He was a point where he's withholding Revealing himself to them, which gives us some insight potentially as well. They don't see who he is, who he is. But he he shows them throughout the scripture how the scripture pointed to him. And then he revealed himself to them. And they were breaking bread, right? He revealed himself to them. Their eyes were opened. They realized who he was. And then he vanished, it says in, in scripture. He was gone. Just like that. But he was physically there. It wasn't just a vision. He was physically there. He ate and drank with them. He offered to Thomas, remember, to feel his hands and to feel his side when he was uh, revealed to Mary Magdalene. Jesus said, don't cling to me now. So Jesus has a physical body. Jesus has a physical presence. We will have our physical bodies But they won't be bound by natural limitations. Amazing to think about. Verse 45. says, Thus it is written, The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. You see the contrast? The first Adam became a living being. He was made to be alive by another. He became alive. He is a being. The last Adam, that's Jesus Christ, is the life giver. Jesus didn't become a being. He wasn't made. Though Jesus did take on flesh to die for our sin, Jesus wasn't given life. He is the life giver. The life giver. So we can sow these seeds of bodies, these, these bodies that are perishable, dishonorable, weak, and naturally limited. And Jesus, the life giver, can give them life that is imperishable, honorable, powerful, and unlimited by nature. Spiritually capable. Verse 46. It's not the spiritual fruit that is first, but the natural. It is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust— We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In this life, right here, right now, we bear the image of Adam. We represent him. We're like copies of him. In this sense, we tell or we recount his tale, communicating who he was, who he is. In this way, Adam sinned, we are in sin. Adam was under the curse. We are under the curse. Adam died. We are dying and will die. We retell his tale. In the resurrection, however, by the grace of God, we will bear the image of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. We will represent him. We will be like copies of him. We will communicate who he is. He has no sin. We will have no sin. His body is under no bondage, no curse. We will no longer be under the curse. He is alive forevermore, for all eternity. We will never die. Remember, Colossians 1 calls Jesus the perfect image of God. Jesus perfectly reveals God to man. In John 1, Jesus is called the Word. Perfectly revealing, explaining, even use the word exegete. Exegeting God to the world. And we're promised to be made like Him. We will bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ. When we see Him, we will be made to be just like Him. So now, take a step back. Put all of this into the context of the whole narrative scripture. Let's think about this in the context of scripture. Adam was created by God from the dust, which God created that dust from nothing, from nothing. The life giver gave life to Adam. Adam was perfect in innocence at first. No sin, no death until he wasn't. Then Adam sinned. Death came. The curse came. And in Adam all die. And Adam died physically. Adam died spiritually. Separated from God. And so like Adam and being from Adam, we are all born in this condition. We are born spiritually dead. And physically moving toward our just death. And remember, dead things don't do anything. Spiritually dead, physically dead. Dead things don't tell themselves to get up. Dead things must be acted upon by another. And so we start to see these but God passages of Scripture. And we think, the seed of the woman, right after the fall, right after the fall, the seed of the woman, is promised, would crush the head of the serpent. The seed of Abraham would bless the nations of the earth. The seed of David would sit on the throne forever. The Lamb of God, the suffering servant, would come to take away our sin. And in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, we must be born again, born from above, by the will of the Spirit of God. Uh, John 3, starting in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, the first Adam. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he says this for this illustration, the wind blows where it wishes And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Dead things must be acted upon by another. Ephesians 2, verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's our desires. Carrying out our desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then Philippians 1.6, we hear this promise. I'm sure of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you, when God acted upon something dead and brought us to life, he began a good work in us. Our salvation our regeneration, our conversion. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Church, we are saved by God's grace. We are kept by God's grace. We grow. Uh, We're sanctified by God's grace. And we will be made perfect forever by God's grace. When? When will this happen? Well, 1 John 3 says this, starting in verse 1. Let's think about this first. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. This Remember, this isn't uh, Jesus looked at the cross and then looked at you and said, oh, they're so worth it. Jesus looked at us And said they need a Savior. I'll love them. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Then verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And it says this, And everyone who thus hopes, everyone who looks forward, knowing they're saved by God's grace and grace alone through the cross of Christ, looks forward to God completing this work in us, looks forward and thus hopes Hopes in Him, in Christ, purifies Himself as He is pure. Looking to Jesus purifies us in this life. So, do you see this progression? We are dead, we were lost, helpless, hopeless, and God lovingly sends His Son, Jesus Christ. To live the perfect life we could not live. To die in our place. To take the just wrath that we deserve. Christ is punished in our place. And then God the Spirit moves, regenerates us, gives birth to our dead souls. And all who call upon the name of the Lord in repentance for the forgiveness of our sins, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then that process of growing, of changing, starts in this life. God calls us and then equips us to learn of Him through His Word, to change our thinking, to change our desires, to change our actions. And boy, don't we wish it would go faster, that we would grow faster, that we would know more, that we would have victory over sin. But one day, that day will come. One day, He will finish this Work and we will be made perfect forever. So these old, perishable, dishonorable, weak, and limited bodies will be transformed forever to imperishable, honorable, powerful, spiritually capable bodies. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And this knowledge. Knowing this is God's plan. Knowing this is God's purpose for us. Seeing that it is all of God's grace and none of our own natural ability. Church, does it stir your heart? Stir up our affections, our our desires. And by these truths, we are purified. Setting aside our sin, the things that weigh us down. Hebrews 12, as we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. This is not my doing. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind all the, per- imp- all the perishable of this life, all the weakness, the, the powerlessness, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May all these reasons for hope, all these reasons for thanksgiving, all these reasons uh, for eager expectation and longing for what's to come, bring us to a place of worship this morning. Worship of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, if you know that Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, I plead with you, repent today. May today be the day of your salvation. Repent and be saved today and forevermore. And church, the Lord is making our paths straight. Let's acknowledge him in everything and then run this race looking to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we should be called the children of God Lord your word says we acknowledge that we don't bring anything to the table Lord that you are the life giver you are the one that changes us that shapes us that conforms us that one day will transform us and so Lord we long for that Uh, we will yearn for that day when all of our sinful desire is gone. That we would not even want to do what is wrong. God, when when uh, the death and dying that we experience in this world is no more. God, when it will be entirely pleasing to us to be entirely pleasing to you. God, we thank you that You've revealed this to us, that you've told us this. this is how it'll be, that, that we will have these resurrection bodies. And God, I pray that as we long for that day, as we long for the resurrection, as we long uh, to see Jesus face to face and be transformed, God, I pray that uh, the glory that you should receive in that, the, the praise that you receive in that knowledge, Lord, we pray for that purification that comes. Lord, keep working in our hearts. May we, may we long and enjoy uh, being in your word, acknowledging you in everything. God, I pray, Lord, if there would be someone here today who maybe even heard this for the first time. God, that they would hear of the truth of Christ's death for our sin, of his resurrection. That they would cry out to you for salvation today. And Lord, may we, your church, honor you and glorify you as we follow you today and this week. And we thank you, Lord, that you're going to finish this work. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.